You're listening to River Church Podcast. To learn more about River Church or to support us financially, please visit us online at rivercolumbia.com. We hope that you enjoy this week's message. How's everybody doing? Great. Um, go with me to John 1. We're going to talk about um, humility this morning. And the, I had a vision in, in worship that I think kind of describes the Lord's heart. But um, it was like... There was these, um, we were all, we have these, we all had these like uh, big balloon people, basically, um, that we were, it looked like a bunch of red, like big balloon people, basically. And, but actually everybody was um, inside of those people, very small. And the Lord was like deflating this like projected big person. And we were getting to like, come out of hiding basically um that's kind of the heart uh with humility and um so i'm gonna pray for us and we'll get started father would you bless this time holy spirit would you reveal jesus to us jesus we thank you for your example and we honor your example we want to live in your example We're here for you. Holy Spirit, we can't see or hear unless you reveal to us. We honor your word. We bless this time. We love you. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to do a good bit of reading today. Kind of hard to... The... To talk about humility is kind of difficult because the, it's like the whole, on our end, it's kind of the whole thing. Um, there is no, I don't believe that there is no, and we'll get to this, but I don't believe that there is any, anyone, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they have like put on humility. Um, so we're going to read a lot of scripture. And honestly, this little bit of time that we have is probably not going to like scratch the surface on humility. So I, I hope that. Um, this will kind of spur you on to go spend some time with the Lord and let the Holy Spirit teach you what it's like to walk in humility. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. I'm going to ask some rhetorical questions. You can answer, I guess, if you want to, but... um, I'm not really expecting a response. I just want to ask you some questions throughout this, uh, this time this morning. Do you believe that nothing that was made was made without him? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent forth from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. This was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That little phrase right there literally means that he came to his own place, um, his own possessions, and his own land, and his creation did not receive him. Um, His own people is not like his own friends. It's like his own people that he made. The, I think, you know, there's a lot of beauty to the, and we're going to get to Jesus' example of humility, to the reality that because Jesus lived in it, I can, like I can live in all of the things that the Son of Man lived in, but there is a, um, the, the foundation of my faith is that w- God and I are not the same. Um, and so it's not like Jesus came to his family and his family did not know him. It's that he came, it's, a, it's much uh, greater than that. It's that he came to the people that he made, that he created, and they did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see Jesus comes to his own creation. Um, I think I oftentimes can read that as he came, he, came to, he came to his own children and his children rejected him. And that's not quite what it's saying. What it's saying is that he came to the people that he made who should have been serving him regardless. And then he gave those people the right to become his family. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace. We have all received and grace for grace. Um, Some translations say grace heaping upon grace. And the picture there is that He extended a gift to me so that I could respond and then receive more of the gift. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Or referring to Jesus, Jesus has made God known. My desire, um, I'm going to probably be reading straight from what I wrote. This helps me communicate a little bit better. My desire is that we all would receive grace, the man himself, and move into our design intent to rule and reign as his children on earth. There is no soil that can hold such honor except that of humility. Before we talk about humility, it's important to understand that free, the free will that I've been given, meaning that my perspective is whatever I want it to be. Something... Uh, your perspective is not fixed, and so you're not like, there's nothing controlling your perspective is what I'm saying. Um, the, that's the whole uh, kind of insane thing about faith, is that he gave me the free will to decide what I want to believe. Yeah. I'm totally free to take up a new perspective or hold fast to, quote, how I see it. It is also important to understand that because the Father is not like us, he will not force us into submission. Could he? Yes. And has he ever forced, any, has he ever forced anyone to submit? No. Very important that we acknowledge this before we start because humility will not rush upon you like an uncontrollable storm. 
nor will humility entice you with promising results. Jesus was humble unto death on a cross. And unfortunately for you and I, our natural bent is to drift into pride every time. Mostly because we forget, rarely because we actually wish to oppose God. My encouragement to you this morning is that we remember who Yahweh is and who we are. Soberly, honestly, and humbly. Humanity by default was in rough shape. But as the Apostle Paul says, who will deliver me from this wretched state? Thanks be to God. All right, go to Luke 16. Uh, We're going to go to verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe, though one rise from the dead. Um, flip over to one page for most of your Bibles, probably, to Luke 17, verse 5. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Pretty good. I mean, I would like to know how to increase my faith. The response here is not what I would have anticipated. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted by the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? (laughs) 
does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. This is Jesus answering how to increase your faith. So likewise, you, when, you've done all that the, when you have done all of those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty. Um, go over to Luke 18, verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Not the place you want to be. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. And the tax collector... Standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The crazy, that, ver, that last sentence right there is referenced so many times in the scriptures, and it comes from the Old Testament and... Um, it's referenced a lot in the letters, and I just want you to see, you know, everybody would have known that, especially the Pharisee would have known that scripture, um, that you could say it a bunch of different ways, basically that the proud, um, the humble are exalted and the proud um, are opposed, and Jesus is unpacking what that actually means. Um, he then immediately after says, verse 15, they also brought infants to him that he might touch them, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of God. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Um, the, I want to see, see a couple of things in these passages. One, that the, the imagery here, mine might even say infant, I'm not sure. Mine says child. Um, some translations say infant, the, which is a very talked about thing, like childlike faith and receiving the kingdom like a child and becoming like a child. The, that's not just in the vein of, um, I would even say, I would go as far as say it's not even primarily in the vein of like carelessness and bliss. Yeah. It's primarily to anybody that's taking care of a baby. It's in the vein of like pitiful. Um, yeah. Meaning, that I must recognize that uh, without him, I can't do a thing. Yeah. I think humility, in these passages, we see that humility gives, um, gives way to salvation. Humility increases my faith, and humility has the power to make me innocent. Um, the whole kind of crazy thing about the gospel, and this is John 1, um, when he says that he gives grace for grace, basically, is that it was a gift so that I could then respond to my free will and he could give me more of a gift. And it's kind of a wild thing because you do have free will, but it couldn't, it's like which comes first, the chicken or the egg, and it's definitely that he comes first. Yeah. But there's so much hinging on our response. Um, 
I'm going to define best I can for this time uh, what I what we're going to call humility. There's tons of uh, tons of words in the scriptures that we translate to humility, and it's kind of a it's very all encompassing. Um, and so, I think most of the time we think of humility in in line with meekness, mm-hmm. uh, which it does include that, and it is noble in that sense. You know what I'm saying? Power restrained, and yeah. um, it is. It is really, that's a, that is absolutely part of humility. But there are, um, some of the definitions of humility are literally a person who po- doesn't possess anything. Um, pitiful, weak, it's, it's, and more often than not, it's not the noble thing. It's very synonymous with humiliation, which is, nobody really likes that. Um, so we're going to, uh, I want to define it for this time, and, and then we'll, get into a little bit more um so humility recognizes my weak and frail nature yeah. everybody say i am weak. weak humility recognizes that my capability is limited and has an end everybody say i am needy, I am needy. and in light of all of this humility assumes the lower position often last place everybody say jesus is in charge jesus is in charge Humility is not a skill to perfect. Humility is not a personality trait, and it is not a vibe. <laughs> the, I think it is, it is very easy in our culture for um, it to become like a someone's, like kind of someone's personality, and that's just not what it is. Unfortunately, in my life, when I have, like, accepted that maybe this is kind of my personality, what you start to do, because the scriptures uh, speak a lot to humility, is you start to live in, it strangely drifts to me being proud of the fact that I'm a humble person, and then now you're living in pride. And it's not, I mean, one of the, one of the most humbling things uh, that has that Greg has ever said to me is like he rebuked me for pride and and it caught me so off guard I'm like I'm literally humble like I'm a humble person (laughs) and that's not humility like what we're what we're describing is maybe my personality to not be like like loud or like maybe always energetic it's not humility it's not a personality trait Um, and pride can drift um, can come from the place of me defining myself as worthless um, as well as coming from the places which most of us think of pride as uh, when I see myself as above people and that includes pride but it goes both ways That's, this picture of Jesus talking about the narrow way um, it's very interesting that it wasn't referred to as a higher way it seems like it would be that there is a higher way but you have a path that you can go there's all kinds of directions you can take it and the narrow way is narrow. Yeah. Wow. Humility is not a skill to perfect, personality trait, or a vibe. Humility cannot come about on accident, and it is not a natural response. Yeah. Humility is chosen, and it is between two parties. This is very important that humility is between two parties. That means that humility cannot be measured by my own judgment alone. It requires honesty with myself, and it must be shown in action.
if we were to say, if you were to, uh, what Jesus did, you'd have to include him going to the cross. And when his example of humility is talked about, it's talked about, that's what it is talked about. It's like, as Jesus humbling himself to the point of death. And so, the interesting thing about the free will that I have to choose humility is that it, it is actually kind of defined by everybody else. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, I don't get to say, this is the humble way, and I, I'm just me choosing my own way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it is, for us, there is an example. But um, if I really want to live in humility, someone else, not, even not Jesus, like someone in his body um, or your boss, has the right to tell you if, it's, if it is humility or not. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, in the kingdom, our humility has a direction and comes from recognizing our natural state. So the big picture of humility I want us to see is uh, not so much individual, although it will, it will translate to how you live your life, but I want us to see that the, the like, base form of humility comes from our humanity's natural state and our shortcomings and our position or standing with Yahweh. Yeah. The two parties, these are the two parties involved for me to take up humility, and I am the created and he is the creator. Humility is, founded, is foundational in the kingdom, as in it literally provides the foundation needed to take part in his kingdom. Humble is the state of an infant. Small, helpless, possessing nothing of its own, completely in need of being cared for. Humility was lived out perfectly by our Lord Jesus, the firstborn and only begotten of the Father. He is the humble, exalted king. Um, the very important, how John's poem in the beginning of John, in John 1, it's very important that we make the distinction that I was not always a child of God. Yeah. I was made in his image, but I was his thing. Do you know what I'm saying? He created me, and, I, and I, he had the right to possess me and do whatever he wanted to do. But he gave me the right to become his child. Originally, there was only one child, and it was Jesus. Humility was lived out perfectly by our Lord Jesus, the firstborn and only begotten of the Father. He is the humble, exalted king. Humility is my choice, presented to me by grace, to accept Jesus and all that he is, so that I may receive more grace. Only a humble heart can ever know who they really are. The Father exalts humble hearts and he opposes the proud. This is how he likes his kingdom to function. Um, that is repeated one jillion times. We're going to read some of the, we'll read some of the scriptures. Um, I mean, you can pull from tons of parables, tons of stories of Jesus healing people to find examples of humility. But that specific phrase... Um, that he exalts humble hearts and opposes the proud is repeated over and over and over. Um, the importance of this is that uh, kind of like step one of humility is that it's his kingdom and he decides how he wants it to function. And that's how he likes it to function. There, I don't really, I think it's a, um, unhelpful to get into like the, to get into basically like twisting everything to figure out how it works out for my good. Yeah. So like it is okay if he just says that I, I oppose the proud and give grace to the humble and that's just how he likes it to be. That gives me an opportunity to take up humility yeah. and that's fine. There is no, like I'm not owed that he, that somehow we like mm-hmm. 
twist this around where I see how everything benefits. The Father exalts humble hearts. He opposes the proud. This is how he likes his kingdom to function. This is because there can only be one God. This is where we really embrace the difference between the created and the creator. Um, let's go to Matthew 15. It's a wild example of humility here. Um, I believe that humility, I'll let you get there. I believe that humility ushers in what is heavenly to dwell with humanity. So humility being one of the very one of the very very few things the importance of humility not being a learned skill or behavior is so that I don't like there are a lot of things that come from humility. So like I would say meekness comes from humility. I would say that mercy like a lot of things come from like me sitting in a posture of humility. There's not a lot of things that um, I have Especially when you take um, the, the soul that has not been rescued yet by God. There's very, very, very few things I have control of. Mm-hmm. To humble myself is one of them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see here in this story that humility, uh, a human operating in humility, brings heaven to where it wasn't originally supposed to be. Uh, Go to verse 25 in chapter 15. Uh, We'll go up to 21. I'll just read the whole story. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. (laughs) Goodness gracious. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. I just want you to see, this is not like most of the uh, American Jesus painted is not this guy. That says nothing to this woman whose daughter is demon possessed. But he answered and said, So he doesn't, his disciples come, they urge him, saying, Send her away, she's crying out after us. And he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, that translated, and they would have known what he's talking about, is that she was, not an, she was not a Jew. And so he's like, Yeah, I don't really have any business with this lady um she then came and worshiped him saying lord help me and if you thought that was going to change his mind he then says it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs this woman's come to him with a her daughter is severely demon possessed he did not answer her the disciples try to send her away, and he backs it, basically, and then she responds and worshiped him. <laughs> okay. 
Then in response to her worship, he says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You have heard Jesus, we've referenced this, that Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. That's what he was abiding by right there. He's not, he didn't, Jesus didn't slip into cruelty. He just came on mission and he was doing his mission. And this woman's humility, which is synonymous according to Jesus with her faith, apparently changes the course of the Father's plans and Jesus' plans. <laughs> He later, there's another story of um, some Greeks coming to seek him, and he's like, I can't right now. I've got to have something to do, basically. Um, and I want us to kind of uh, just zoom out a little bit and see that Jesus, and we're going to get, we're going to continue to talk about this, obviously, but the, it is only by grace that I've been brought into his kingdom. Especially us. Just so you know, this woman is the that when Jesus came to Earth, you go to Jesus and you're getting the response that she got. Nobody in this room was is who he came for. We know that Jesus came because he loved the whole world, but he had to do he had to fulfill the law, and so he's on mission to fulfill the law, to break down the hostility. This is, this hostility that you see, where the disciples like get her away. She's like get she's like bothering us. Um, that's the wall of hostility that he wanted to break, to, to put aside, yeah. take it upon himself so that all of humanity could be his. So humility ushers in what is heavenly to dwell with humanity. Yeah. So, let's go to Isaiah. We'll go to Psalm 10. Psalm 10. I want us to um, read a little bit about what I believe is um, our natural state. Psalm 10. Yeah, if you can't hear me back there, just tell me to speak up. Uh, Psalm 10, let's go to verse 12. I'll try to look up when I talk. Maybe. Psalm 10, verse 12. 
Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why did the wicked renounce God? He, the wicked, has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand, out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Um, this little psalm is prophetic of what Jesus would do basically with his people down the road. Um, and specifically that uh, you've heard, the des- verse 17, you've heard the desire of the humble, you prepare their heart, and you will cause your ear to hear. Um, I believe it's speaking of the fact that he would hear a humble people, and then when he comes later, thousands of years after this, um, or hundreds maybe, uh, he, he would have prepared the hearts of the humble for his coming, yeah. uh, which is very important. We're going to get to that in a second, but just keep that in mind. All right, go to Isaiah 30. <coughs> to the right. Isaiah 30, and we're going to start in verse 1. Just a little bonus thing here. If uh, I would encourage everybody to read. It doesn't take very long uh, because it's, it's, I guess because it's kind of poetic. It's very like spaced out. But uh, specifically the first book of the Psalms, Psalm 1 through 40, are just amazing to teach me about what it is to be humble. Um, and we'll kind of get to that in a smidgen with uh, David's example of humility. But I just, I would encourage you seriously to just sit, if you just read it in a, you can read it in a sitting um, and just read Psalm 1 through 40 and just uh, let the Holy Spirit get you. Um, all right, Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children. Who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit. That they might add sin to sin. We're, what we're reading right here is the state of humanity. The natural state of humanity. We, to clarify something here, when we talk about uh, the garden, basically... And the promise that humanity has, humanity has always been full of potential because we were created in God's image. Yeah. But humanity's natural state, unfortunately, as we see in the garden, yeah. is, not full, is not like we are living in zero of the potential. Yeah. Um, and we are opposed to God, right. seeking our own way. I'll start at the top. Verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who walk to go down to Egypt 
and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength, of Pharaoh, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Uh, go to Isaiah, just skip on down to verse 15. He kind of continues to expound, Isaiah does. And in verse 15, <laughs> this is the whole crazy thing about how Yahweh has always been gracious, is we're basically rebelling. Humanity, all of humanity rebelling. Verse 15, he says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest, you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So we have this prophet Isaiah. is prophesying about how rebellious we have been. And then the Lord says, If you would return and rest, you would be saved, and quietness and trust would be your strength. But you would not. Verse 16, And you said, No, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee. Just, just consider Yahweh sitting enthroned. And we say, nope, we're going to do it our way. And he says, then you're going to do it your way. Yeah. And we said, we will ride on swift horses. And he says, therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand, this is a pitiful, this is pitiful, just so you know. One thousand of these people that have chosen their own way will flee at the threat of one person. At the threat of five, you shall flee. Till you are left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. So Yahweh says, if you do this, you'll be saved. We say, we will not. We'll do it our way. Verse 18, therefore, the Lord will wait. Up to this point, all that Yahweh has offered us is life with him. And our continual response is rebellion. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted so that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Go to Romans 2. One of the... Uh, singing this a second ago I don't know the exact lyrics but basically that he defines me and maybe that is the exact lyrics and 
he uh, one of the I think one of the ways that the scriptures can be or maybe perhaps the primary way that the scriptures can be mishandled is that if I don't yield to what the scriptures have to say about humanity specifically um, just because this is kind of where it starts in terms of my like me being brought into things and me growing specifically what the scriptures have to say about who I was um, or if I don't know him who I am and it's super important because uh, otherwise if there is no if there is no defining of the state of humanity then everybody just decides where they're at and then everybody picks and chooses what they want from God doesn't work that way so much so that Paul he's uh, writing a letter to the Romans who would have been like you and I as in not God's people this is pretty wild to me that it's so normal you know that Jesus loves everybody like we kind of like that's just kind of like normal to us to know that but uh, other, he definitely gave some examples and was very confronting in his parables about the fact that um, and there's even Old Testament prophets that revealed basically that Yahweh was coming for all of humanity but they the specifically the disciples uh, in Acts they find out like because of the dream that Peter had that Jesus actually wants everybody to know him which is super wild um, it's not like they it's not like Jesus like just so you know want everybody to know me <laughs> he he like obviously we picked that up in his life and his example but they still didn't get it and so they're like I don't know what the amount of time is, but there's a significant amount of time into following Jesus and or into uh, the early church. And Peter has a dream, and Holy Spirit sends an Italian general to him, and he's like, oh, everybody, this is for everyone. And it, it's just kind of a... It's, it's just it's fascinating to me, really, because uh, I think we kind of... Our bent is to naturally assume that everybody just... Everybody, everybody's welcome. Everybody, 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 and it's not that way. Um, it, it's not in the way that we think about it, as in everybody's owed something. Yes. Um, it is that everyone is welcome. Yes. It's just that no one is owed anything. Yeah. Yes. And so those who choose to put on humility and submit yeah. to Him receive grace. Yes. And according to John one, um, that is how I become a child of God. All right. So Romans two. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Keep in mind, he's writing to Gentiles like you and I. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, (laughs) you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render each according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, 
indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as, man, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many have sinned with the law will be judged by the law. He's separating this like divide that they had, that these people had a way and these people didn't have a way. Yeah. And a lot of, he's writing to some, these people were believers that he's writing to. Um, he's not like writing to persuade them. He's writing to Gentiles to remind them yeah. that you're not owed anything. Uh, verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and the rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you're, you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you, break, if you are a breaker of the law, you circ your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even, the, even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Um, it's obviously super wordy, and we're not going to like dive into the Romans 2 right now. But the, what I do want you to he, know in Paul's letter, basically, is that we, we were without... Uh, our bent was to disobey God and rebel against God. Yeah. What you cannot do is start, like, uh, adopt, basically, mm -hmm. what seems to be profitable, start doing it the right way, yeah. and then enter in. That's not what he's saying is that what he, I believe, is returning them to is a humble place yeah. of you didn't have anything before you had God, and you had done nothing but disobey God. Yeah. And now you sitting in, he's talking to people sitting in the seat of, I'll give you an example of how this works out. I see somebody doing something that is sinful. That's just bad to do, according to what I believe. And I start to sit in the seat of judgment, basically, where I'm like, I don't know, whatever. Someone's getting hammered, okay? Someone gets hammered, and I'm like, I, in my heart, I'm like, this is terrible. It's bad. For, and I have, like, good reasons as to why it's bad for, you know, what's bad about it, why it's bad, why it's unhealthy for them, why the Lord doesn't like that, yada, yada, yada. And when I sit in the seat of judgment and forget that I was the same exact way, I'm now living in pride and not humility. Okay, so everyone say, I am weak. I am weak. 
I am needy. I am needy. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. All right, so we have um, kind of a very small sliver of our natural, like what is our natural state. It's to drift into pride, it's to rebel from God, it's to choose our own way. Now we're going to go to Jesus' natural state and rightful place. So go to Luke 7. We have all of these uh, from the very beginning, as soon as we're out of the garden. We have uh, prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy about somebody that's going to come to make everything right. And so Luke 7, verse 18 We read in John 1 earlier, just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, context here. We read in John 1 that uh, not John, Jesus' disciple, but uh, John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. Okay, So he has, you know, he's doing his thing in the wilderness, eating locusts, and he was, a, a lot of people like seriously thought he was a crazy person. Um, and yeah, super understandable. Um Verse 18, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. Jesus has been doing his thing, healing. He just raised a dead boy. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured... <laughs> this is back. I'll show you. At that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered, said to them, Go tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I have read that verse I mean, I've just, I don't know how many times I've read it, read a lot, and not really, um, for a long time, kind of unsure what he's talking about. Uh, but I do believe he is, like, um, setting up, basically, the fact that, a, as, you know, if you were to take this, this statement by Jesus, that blessed are those who are not offended because of me, mm-hmm. and then you go read the story in Matthew about the woman who he rejects twice, yeah. ignores, and then rejects twice, and she continues to seek him. You would see that she is blessed because she's not offended because of him. Yeah. It is a uh, humility is like a is a posture that he is God. He can do whatever he wants. He's the one that has we've always needed to come, and he came. Yeah. Go to Revelation five. This really explicitly says what I'm trying to say. Revelation 5 verse 1 says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. John, this is disciple John writing this. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four winged creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Uh, One of the definitions for humility is to bow down. each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand And thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Um, Revelation is just a crazy book. I don't, it's nuts. Um, But uh, Revelation 4 and 5 are um, really amazing to just meditate on. And it's kind of interesting. It's just so interesting that uh, you would think that this, the vision that John would be, Jesus, this is the end of John's life when he wrote this. You should think the vision that John is having is not like him weeping because no one was there to open the scroll because Jesus has already come. But uh, there must be something to a heart that remains in that dependency. I want you to see here in verse 9 that the new song that they sang is that he is worthy to take the scroll of Jesus and open its seals for Jesus was slain And Jesus has redeemed us back to God by his blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And has made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. 
And we talk about, um, as we should, and we will continue to talk about the promise in Exodus that we would be kings and priests unto God. And there is no such thing as prideful people becoming kings and priests unto God. Go with me to Psalm 18. I'm going to give you some examples of humility and that I believe we can glean from, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, David's example, uh, when I was first preparing for this, I was literally like, I'm just going to read Psalm 1 through 40 because it's just <laughs> so good. Um, I, I, I specifically, I personally love the Psalms because of the, uh, it's like David's, a lot of the Psalms, and even if it's not David, the other writers of the Psalms, it's like the personal reflection of these people. And it's just very interesting, especially when you consider the, uh, upon, until Jesus came, David is the greatest king that Israel ever had. And when you read what he wrote about, it's like, what the heck? <laughs> um, he, it doesn't seem that he sees himself that way. Yeah. Which I think is why he was the greatest king. Yeah. Um, so Psalm 18 is also... Um, this is basically the in David has lived his, his whole life and has he made some like has he failed? Yes. Um but he's also like I mean he's he is he's a type of Christ. He has like lived in an example um for his whole life yeah. that was like uh unheard of, specifically the way that he lived in honor and humility towards the king. And when he's young lad in the field he's told he's going to be king that doesn't happen until like 16 years after that and the whole time in between he's like running from like trying to live basically like he's running from people trying to kill him and he has this like he's getting old basically and has this this like final battle and then this beautiful prayer basically comes or the song comes out of this battle and go to verse we're just going to read a little snippet of it um, go to verse 25 18 verse 25 with the merciful you will show yourself merciful with a blameless man you will show yourself blameless with the pure you will show yourself pure and with the devious you will show yourself shrewd for you will save the humble people, but you will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp, the Lord my God, will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. You have, I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given... The necks of my enemies 
given me the next of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer. Then I beat them as fine as, fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the, starving, from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He just, I just want you to consider David has, he's doing his thing. He's done like, you know, only, he only had to, I guess, follow up Saul, but he wasn't a very good king. But he has uh, united the nation of Israel and he just won this final battle. And that just, just, I mean, it's all throughout this. But he is like, I did this, but really it was God. Yeah. Verse 46. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Um, and honestly, what is so like, fascinating to me about David's example is uh, from the beginning, from like, he had, he was, he had humble beginnings. You know, we talk about that. Uh, like we talk about humble in the sense of like, if I say that David had humble beginnings, we kind of all understand that. And throughout everything in his life and the continual exalting that he received, yeah. his, he stays in the same posture basically his whole life. From 16 tending to sheep to the king that has been victorious. Yeah. Um, all of what has been good in his life is because of God. Yeah. All right, go to uh, 1 Corinthians 3. One of the, um, I mean, seriously, there is a zillion stories we could read in the life of Jesus, but one of the wild things about, like when, when we're talking about humility, is like, if I, when I recognize and I'm honest with how things actually were, you know what I'm saying? How I actually, in my personal life, like, when I recognize how I actually treated people, how I actually thought through things, how I actually did try to get everything to be my way, when I like start to recognize that yeah. and let him care for me, he wants to lift me up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is no like, really Jesus funny. being the lifter of my head means nothing if I walk around trying to look over everybody. First yeah. 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 <laughs> Corinthians 3 verses, let's start. In verse 16. Verse 16. <clears throat> Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles this temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? 
one of the, that was a, this is just a funny story. Um, we were, uh, basically from time to time, I, uh, like, a, we would have like a bonfire or something. Like Katie and I would like make a fire in the backyard. I really used to enjoy like hand rolling cigarettes and smoking cigarettes. And uh, the, I don't know what Katie and I were talking about. We were talking about something about, had nothing to do with that. Um, and honestly, I had no conviction about it. I wasn't addicted to nicotine. I just was like, yeah, it's fine. And Katie said something, and I just, uh, I felt like the Lord basically convicted me that, like, I was measuring things based off of what is good and bad. And instead of seeing that, like, what I do with my body is not up to me. Yeah. What it means for me to be a temple of God is that I am owned by God. Like, it's now, this body is now God's temple, and he dwells in it, but he decides what goes. Um, Super. It was very convicting, and I was like, dang, I guess. uh, You know, and we, even to to Paul's letter to the Romans, it's it's just easy to, like, grace is so free, and his forgiveness is so endless that you can do anything, and it will be available to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, there is not like a, there's not a moral code that opts you out of his forgiveness. Um, but for some reason, we, uh, that's what we want to find out. We want to find out, like, in following Jesus, what am I allowed to do myself? Yeah. Instead of it just being this, like, sim- it's a really simple truth yeah. that I have been purchased by him. Yeah. Like, he's made me his own. Yeah. Um, and it's very freeing, too, because it, like, takes a lot of the responsibility that I think that I want. Yeah. When it's out of my hands, I realize that I didn't really want it. Yeah. <laughs> so, verse 18. So Paul's like, you're the temple of God. Did you know that? Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. There's a... This is just wild, but there's a dispute, basically, and uh, a lot of people are, like, claiming a man as they're, like, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, it's like, and he's like, you don't need to boast in, you don't need to boast in men, like, you're, you're like, so nearsighted and, and uh, like, just looking at what you can see right in front of you that you're forgetting this giant picture, yeah. basically, and he said, uh, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours. And you belong to Christ, and Christ is God's. What's, what's really, and we're going to read a little bit, in the, we'll just read right now. Chapter 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Remember Jesus teaching them? That I'll just come into the house after I've served him all day, and then I'll make him dinner, and then I'll say I'm only a servant doing my duty. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Steward, the the what that is means is that I I have been entrusted to to manage what is not what does not belong to me. Yeah. 
Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. This is the freeing reality of humility. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Go to Philippians 2. Um, the lowly, you know that, <laughs> Greg could probably give us a, a better dive into this, but uh, Paul, was his Saul was not changed to Paul, like by God. And Paul literally means the last one or the small one. And in his example of, of humility, I want you to see how freeing, like you become, he becomes totally dependent. And we have this opportunity as well to become so dependent on the Lord that everything is, everything is available to me. Like I, you know, if, if God has his things and I have my things, then we're always at odds. Yeah. If I humble myself and recognize that I, none of, yeah. even what I thought that I had wasn't mine, then I get to be cared for by God who has all things. And so he's reminding that his little encouragement in 1 Corinthians 3 is like you're getting into like the weeds of who, who's like, you know, style of leading or teaching or like the things that you prefer is what you're talking about. And you need to like pick your head up because all of those things are under you because you now belong to Christ. Yeah. And that is, it's not, it's a, I think sometimes we see like God exalts the humble as like, um, like a time of testing and it's like I'll give you this if you do this right but it's not it's like that's the seat that is exalted do you know what I'm saying it's not that he is like um, he, he does test and I'm not boxing the Lord in with this what I'm saying is that like it's the um, like Jesus saying the greatest among you will be servant of all it's not like a it's not like a um, see how long you can endure this this humble thing and then I'll put you at the top that's not, I think that's how it can be read sometimes, but that's not how, that's not what he means. What he means is that if you sit in the lowest seat in the kingdom, that's actually the highest seat. I'm not even at Philippians yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. Um, something Greg said a, a couple of weeks back, maybe it was a couple months ago, I don't know, and was the question, do I actually believe that the lowest seat is the best seat, yeah. which pretty was very confronting to me um, because I just it's very easy for me to read Jesus' teachings like turn the other cheek as if like this is the this is the way that I get what I want, mm-hmm. not that I turn the other cheek and then get hit again. Philippians 2, verse 1. Uh, when, when we read this, I want you to 
Unity, unity with God is, um, is going to result in people being uh, like-minded or unified. You know what I'm saying? Like me being, me being one with the Lord, Sophie being one with the Lord, is probably going to result in us being able to yep. be friends. You know what I'm saying? But um, in John 17, the Lord is talking about unity. And the, the unity he desires is like union with his child. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the Father in Jesus. Yeah. Jesus goes as far to say that uh, in, when I'm gone, you're not going to ask me anything because you can just go straight to the Father. Yeah. Because as he and I are one, you and I will be one and therefore we'll all be one. And that's, that's the unity that he's talking about. So it is not exclusive of everyone else. It's just important to know where it starts because yeah. it's not, um, we're not trying, we are all trying to have fellowship with the Lord. We are not all trying to have a good group. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And what people are enticed by and what shows people the love of God is how I treat other people. But I have no idea how to treat other people unless I have union with the Lord. Yes. Okay, so I just want you to, I want you to keep that in mind when we're talking about unity. Um, the primary unity that is in the scriptures is God having fellowship with his people. Therefore, if there is any consolation, verse, this is uh, chapter 2 in Philippians, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Okay, so if we read that without the next part, that definitely sounds like the method by which I, like how I treat other people. And although it is including, obviously, explicitly how I treat other people, the uh, spring that that comes from is this next part. Let this, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. One of the misconceptions with true freedom is, and Paul puts this as we have become slaves of righteousness, but one of the misconceptions of freedom is that now, that Jesus made me free, now I do whatever I want. And that is not freedom at all. That's anarchy. So freedom is, Jesus, you know, when you read this, the word bondservant is like, uh, is is servant like what Jesus is talking about, which is more like a slave. And Jesus took the form of a slave. He wasn't, he didn't work for anybody. Maybe he had a boss when he was, when he, I don't know. Maybe he had a boss at some point. But it's not like, we don't see an example of Jesus being like told, you know, what to do by someone else. But he, in his words, says that he only does what the Father says and does. And so his, uh, the strictness by which he operated is actually extremely high. Yeah. Um, I say strictness, maybe that's not a good word, but the like, it wasn't Jesus just willy-nilly doing whatever he wanted. That's not freedom. Yeah. It was him being one with the Father yeah. and knowing the desire of the Father and then carrying out the desire of the Father. Yeah. And it gets 
the, as specific as I let it get. Yeah. Um, for Jesus, it was doing nothing except what the Father said and did. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, I, I really do. Um, I want my mind, I want all of us, I want our minds to continue to be renewed in the reality that freedom is not, you know, you wouldn't uh, take anybody that has any position of authority. They don't do whatever they want. There's zero from uh, the day you become a parent to being an employer to like the more authority you have, the less freedom in that sense that you have. Do you know what I'm saying? The less freedom in terms of like I decide what I want, when I want, how I want. That's not freedom increasing. Um, And so to be like Jesus would be to become a slave of righteousness. And and a lot of uh, a lot of our like flesh opposes what that would actually mean. Verse 9, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The uh, Jesus, at one point, some folks get rebuked for worshiping, and he's like, if, you, if they don't cry out, then the rocks are going to cry out. Mm-hmm. And the crazy reality about humility is that um, I can choose it. I have the free will to choose it, to be humble. To humble myself before the Lord is kind of talked about like putting on humility, like it's, like it's a garment that I just pick up and put it on. Yeah. And, or we're going to get to the end of things, and everything's going to bow down. That is literally the definition. A lot of the times in the scriptures, the definition for humility or humble is to be laid low. And that, that's, happen, that's going to happen. And so I, I can submit now and take part or you just get there at the end. And I do believe there is a bit of uh, the fear of the Lord that comes in with humility where you, you, we start to recognize that I'm a created, I am a created being that he has done nothing but love. And I can do nothing but fail and he has chosen to make me like himself yeah. so the one of the ways that C.S. Lewis puts this which we don't really <laughs> we don't really talk about this ever but um, makes for really pretty songs about being sheep you know and but the imagery there is literally as there would be imagery about um, a father and a child and there would be imagery about a husband and his bride the imagery there is that there is a being that is much higher and far more powerful and far more comprehensive. And then there's these dumb animals that it takes care of. And if it doesn't, they die. And if he doesn't do something about it, they just like the way C.S. Lewis puts it is that it's similar like you uh, similarly to you wanting to get a dog and own a dog. It's like a dog's not going to like learn to be obedient. You train a dog and make it into something that's desirable to you. And that is the the picture there. Like the picture of us being his creation is that he made me into something that he would desire. Not that I was like naturally just so desirable. Um, The beautiful thing about this is that if should my heart submit to that reality in humility is that when he it's a Jeremiah talks about the potter. And is the thing, <laughs> this is another, it's an inanimate object. 
is the thing that was made going to say to the one that made it what it is made for? Just like, I mean, I can't make, and I have nothing, this table, Jalen Bell made this table. And it's like, me telling God what I was made for is as stupid as this table talking back to Jalen. <laughs> that's the imagery. That's yeah. the, that is literally the poetic imagery that Jeremiah gives yeah. to it. Is that this table doesn't define anything. Yeah. The beautiful thing about it is that if, if Jalen is allowed to decide what this table is for and what it, and like, yeah. um, what it was made for, what it's going to be, you know, whatever, whatever, is like it serves a beautiful purpose. It's a beautiful looking table. Yeah, and it can just accept that because it doesn't even have a consciousness of yep. what, it, you know, other options. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's a freeing, it is ultimately a freeing reality yeah. that I get to put down trying to define things and I just listen to who he says that I am. Yeah. All right, let's go to James 4. This will be the kind of the end. We're gonna. I'm gonna read James four, and then we're gonna go into some little things about humility and pride. And then Sophie and Joseph, I think, are gonna lead us in a little song, um, a little time of repentance. James four, verse one: Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure? That war in your members. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war that you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say this in vain? The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. So insane how many times we just come up short and he's like, I'm going to be gracious again. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you, whenever you read that God gives grace, I want you to, to know that the gift, grace, meaning gift, is Jesus. Yeah, so the, the fullness of grace and truth, meaning that he, Jesus says that um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And grace is the same way. Like He is, he is the grace. Yeah. Um, it's not, it, is, it is encompassing of who he is, similar to love. But it's also, I mean, it's encompassing of what he has done, but it's mostly he's the gift. So this whole, you know, he's quoting, maybe it'll tell me right here. Uh, Proverbs 3. He's quoting Proverbs 3, okay? And God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this was like, uh, this was just similar to very similar to a lot of the things that Jesus lived in, is like there was like an understanding of this, that upon Jesus coming, the real is like, oh, now we really know what that's talking about. Yeah. And it's that to the humble, you can receive him. Okay. God resisting the proud is not, a, uh, is not him like crossing his arms because he's mad at you. Like that's not what the resisting there is not, um, and the opposition there is not a matter of like, 
he gets frustrated and insecure, so he's not going to do what he's not going to do something. That's not the resistance and the opposition that is present. It's a, um, it's like my perspective of who God is. It's to the, it's to the shrewd. He seems shrewd. You know what I'm saying? And so, the to the person, similar to Isaiah 30, when he when he says, "If you would just return and rest, you would be saved, and quietness and trust would be your strength." And we say, "We're not going to do that. We're going to flee in our own strength." And he says, "Okay then." And so it feels like resistance because nothing goes your way. And that's because it's not ever intended to go your way. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an insane promise. Yeah. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Does anybody know what's going to happen tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Do you see the posture there? Whatever he says is what I'll do. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. I just untied my shoe by stepping on it. Um, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Uh, Jesus, that little verse is pretty convicting. But um, essentially, it's like we have, the standard has been raised. And now we are talking, we talk about matters of the heart in terms of um, not that like everything is, basically I cannot pretend anymore. Um, and so by me coming into knowledge of Jesus and this, this, the life that he lived and the standard that he set, uh, I now know how I ought to live, how I ought to conduct myself. And if I don't know, I don't know. And when I learn it, I know. It's like not that complicated. It's yeah. just that as you know, you know. And if you know and then you don't do it, that's sin. Yeah. So it's no longer defined by laws and regulations. It's yeah. defined by hearts that are either submissive or not submissive to God. Okay. Um, I want to read a, a little bit of, um, we're going to, I have to tie my shoe, I'm sorry. We're going to, I'm going to read this. This is certainly not all encompassing. This is just a little list that I made about humility and pride. Yeah. And, um, and then we're just going to sing and I'll pray us out uh, whenever the song is over. In this time, I would like us to, um, to just let the Lord examine your heart. Just open up to him. The kind of the irony about humility is that a lot of times when I've had to turn, you know, and, and like take on humility again, it's super like awkward and embarrassing because I was never really like trying to be. No one's trying to like mess things up or do things wrong or be prideful or belittle. No one's like, that's no one's aim. Um, and so it's just a little bit uncomfortable and 
it has been really good for my heart for the Holy Spirit to teach me that uh, this, like, I, if I hear humble, like you're a humble person, it's like an honor. If I hear humiliating, I'm like, I don't want to. And they're the same thing. They're literally the same word. I don't know how that gets separated, but it's the exact same word. And so I would encourage you to embrace what feels humiliating in your life. I'm sorry? I'm going to read this list and then, yeah. Um, Humility receives, pride earns. Humility offers, offers forgiveness, pride offers judgment. Humility leaves you desperate for Yahweh, pride leaves you desperate for approval. Humility shows me who I am, pride pretends. Humility ushers grace, ushers in grace himself, and pride isolates my inner world. Humility sees what has been freely given, pride only sees what is lacking. Humility creates good soil, pride creates victims. Humility gives way to sacrificial love, and pride gives way to obligation. Um, so who you can put in judgment. Um, you can uh, stand up and do whatever you want. I just would encourage you to get in a humble posture. Uh, and the, there is no like, maybe you have, maybe you're convicted of pride right now. And, you know, there are ways that you need to like repent basically and, and let it in. And maybe you're like, I don't know. I just don't like, there can just be fear of the Lord. That's like, I just don't want to not be humble. You know what I'm saying? And like, essentially there is something for everyone in this time. And uh, Paul writes that if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. And so the, the posture that we're trying to step into and sit in right now is that I don't know and I need God. I said I'm weak, I'm needy, and Jesus is in charge.